Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Thank you for your association. We will continue tonight to determine how it is that we can never fall from Vaikuntha. <clears throat> We're reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, the second of his six Sandarbhas, Sat Sandarbhas, which basically were compiled from the notes of, according to Jiva, who's the compiler, Gopal Bhatta Goswami. So he gives a lot of credit there. And basically what the Sandarbhas do for us is they pull us and situate us very firmly in, first of all, an understanding of the inner relationship between ourselves and the material world and what is spiritual knowledge and what is material knowledge in a very comprehensive way with evidence based on Srimad Bhagavatam. So, Sambandha Gyan, four of the six uh, Sandarbhas are dedicated to Sambandha Gyan, the Tattva Sandarbha, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the Paramatma Sandarbha, and the Krishna Sandarbha, um, then as you know, there's three aspects to spiritual life. There's Sambandha, understanding enough about spiritual life to have some interest in it, understanding the nature of the soul, understanding the nature of God. So Jiva gives us a pretty thorough understanding of these subjects, and then he proceeds to give us... Uh, an abhideya, a practice, a, a, a way that we can engage ourselves no matter what our position is, we can engage directly in bhakti and the highest form of bhakti. There's no, there's no, uh, what do we want to say, segregationing here? In this Krishna consciousness movement. Everyone is allowed to come and practice and as we can see you can even have a sadhu come from India to the United States and within 60 years there's thousands of followers not only in India but all over the world because it's taken into, into a new culture. So Certainly there's no qualification, as they'd say, on this side of the ocean for spiritual life. It's a rather degraded uh, societal condition. So he starts with Sambanda, then he goes to Abhideya. And what, what can we do? How can we apply the knowledge so that it has a positive effect on our being and results in a, a wonderful result, prayojan. So a, a, wonder, a wonderful attainment is available for us uh, from the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami. So we're in the middle of the second Sandarbha, and in this Sandarbha, which is called the Bhagavat Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami is is introducing us to a comprehensive, a very comprehensive understanding of what is God. 
What is God? What's the difference between His nature and the nature that we're accustomed to in this existence? In our material situation. Uh, so His existence... Let's hope it's better than what we have, or why would we have any interest in changing what we currently have? And that's where we're what we're kind of dealing with right here in this part of the Sundarbas. Uh, is why would you want to go and hang out with God? Does he have anything up on what we have? We have discos, we have theaters, we have... We have football teams and we have big skyscrapers and fast jets and boats and, you know, we have a lot of stuff going for us here. Why would we want to sacrifice any of that and go be with the Supreme? Does he have more to offer than what we have? If not, why go to all the endeavor? Why, you know? So Jeeva's saying, actually he does. And actually, let me tell you a little bit about it. So we're in that part of the Sundarva now where he's talking about what the Lord's transcendental hangout is like. We have our cribs. God has his crib. And he's got a real big playpen, you know. And he has a lot of far-out toys. But his toys are emotional toys, and we hope that we could be a toy in his loving emotions, because that far exceeds all the material toys that we're used to here. So he's inviting us, here, take, take some interest, see what my environment's like. And Jiva here is saying, his environment is such that once you go there, you never want to return. It's like the ideal vacation. And once you go there, you don't have to return. He says, says this to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. Having once gone there, you never come back. So for this particular section of the Bhagavad Sandarbha, two verses from Lord Kapila Dave, which he was speaking to his mother, uh, are used as evidences as to the nature of the Lord's um, the nature of that transcendental abode of the Lord. In other words, he speaks of the glories first in the first verse of devotional service itself. That whatever you could attain materially, whatever you could have just from regular material attainment, what's commonly known in Vedic culture as um, karma conda activity, perform some sacrifice and get some good result. 
we call it over here good karma because you know we may not know all the details of that culture that Krishna's given the wealth of the, the culture of India but karma khanda act, activities are activities that result in uh, upliftment of your human condition generally the the primary goal through karma khanda is to go to heaven because there you live well it might as well be forever because you just really can't distinguish it from your your viewpoint of a a puny hundred year life and living hundreds of thousands of years so swargaloka the heavenly planets are put out there so kapila first tells devahuti you get all those results just by being my devotee and if you look at the there's another path besides karma khanda there's there's the yogic path there's many mystical yogis and they desire more than just heaven they want to control it all they want to have heaven and they want to be able to create heaven on earth or anywhere else so they go after the cities they want to be able to go go in the river one place and come out in another and uh, i mean really whatever whatever you can imagine whatever superheroes we've seen come out of marvel movies lately all those things these mystic yogis can do and much much more so kapila says and all that i give to my devotees so i give them everything material i give them complete control of the material universe through all the yogic siddhas if they want it they can have that and i also give them all the opulences of my transcendental abode so if they come to me my devotees they have no desire to come back here that's how nice it is what i give them then kapila dev goes on and he says and not only that we have a loving relationship with each other which is just fantastic so because of of these jivaga swami uses these verses to bring out the two aspects there's nothing you could want in the context of your environment material opulences control of the mind and senses of yourself and everybody else around you through yogic cities and even going to vaikuntha which makes heaven look petty so all that my devotee gets and he doesn't even have to endeavor he doesn't have to do all the karma khanda sacrifices he doesn't he doesn't have to take the chance of making one small mistake in the utterance of a verse when the oblations given into the fire of sacrifice and getting a demon child instead of a a nice young vaishnav that's how easy it is to to make a little mistake in the karmakanda path that he doesn't have to worry about that he gets the good result and he doesn't even have to do the sacrifice I just give him the result. 
And he doesn't have to go through all the austerities that are associated with control of the mind and senses, which result in um, yogic powers. And my devotees are so much overwhelmed with their re- developing their relationship with me that they don't really care for the Vaikuntha realm. But I give that to them anyway, so they can have the same bodily form as I do, a spiritual body just like mine. They can live on the same spiritual planet as I do. They can have all the opulences that I have. There's one more. Form. Form, loka, what's the other? Sarsti, all the opulences. And there's another. They can, of course, merge with my body, but they have no desire to do that. The other will hopefully come to me. So, Jiva Goswami begins there to say, for this reason, for these two reasons alone, no one's going to leave Vaikuntha. No one can fall from there. The reason they can't fall is that there's no longer an influence upon them of the modes of material nature which give us a desire to have material existence. In fact, all the impressions that carry with us from one body to the other in the, in the continual cycle of samsara, those impressions are burnt up, as Krishna points out to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, in the fire of devotion. So they have no impressions to, to bring them back. So this has been quite a discussion we've had here. And we're now at the end and I'm going to make this the end of this particular Anucheta tonight. Uh, in understanding and dealing with any misconceptions that may be there regarding falling from Vaikuntha. You're not going to want to. You're with God. You've made it. And there's just the, the earthly atmosphere has nothing, it holds nothing for you anymore. So we went through a lot of arguments in the last couple of classes that Jiva presented, and also the commentator on this particular version has put forth. And we ended up in the last discussion um, talking about. Um, how one acquires knowledge. We can acquire knowledge with our senses, but that's not going to have any of any value. There's nothing that the senses can offer us, and there's nothing that this environment can offer us that will give us any clue of what the spiritual world's like. It, there's just, it doesn't exist here. We have to require, it requires that we hear from Scripture. So, we call sensual, um, sensual input, knowledge acquired from the senses, uh, pratyaksha, 
And of course we have Shastra. That's another way that we can acquire knowledge. And we have Anuman. Now these, Jiva basically condenses all the different ways that one can acquire knowledge into these three. And he's going to walk through the application of the two that have a bearing on understanding spiritual matters. The first one, Shastra, and the second one being logically arriving at a full, comprehensive, and logical understanding of what you hear from Shastra. So we we can use our we can use our intelligence, but we have to use, know how to use our intelligence. So as we cl close the last discussion, what we hear from Shastra sometimes can be contradictory. So we can hear in Shastra, and the the example given was that of Chaturmasya, that the results of doing the sacrifice of Chaturmasya, those are, what was the word? Um, imperishable. Imperishable, yes. They do not end. So one of observes the vows of Chaturmasya attains imperishable merit. But it's it's a material sacrifice. It's fasting and, you know. So what's imperishable about it? You can perform Chaturmasya. You can go to the heavenly planets. You can get the results of the sacrifice of Chaturmasya. But the fact is, from a deeper understanding of scripture, we have to go to another pronouncement from the same scriptures that say what? Just as the results of material action do not endure, so do the results attained in heaven by the performance of good deeds. So, imperishable means they never end, but the scripture also says, well, if it's a material activity, even if it's something as serious and beneficial as Chaturmasya, because it is an extremely beneficial act to observe Chaturmasya, you can really clean up a lot of sinful activity. You can, it's a, it's a pretty good cleansing. It's like bathing in the Ganges every day of your life. You end up at the end of your life without any material disease and all your sinful life is, is eradicated. That's transcendental, that's Krishna. But Chandramashiv deals with that in the, just up to the point of, of, of eliminating sinful uh, impious results and giving the, the spiritual, not the spiritual results, the heavenly results of, of, of Swarga Loka. So, ba but basically, both of these statements cannot be absolute. So, we have to learn how to discriminate. We have to learn well, both of these statements are coming from Scripture. So I've heard that every, I, everything I say needs to be supported by Scripture. Which one of these do I use? And do I just use the one I like and say that yours is wrong because I like the Swarga 
Chaturmasya imperishable result more than I like the fact that doing Chaturmasya, which by the way I like to do, I'm not talking personally here. <laughs> but the point is, somebody may really be attached to doing their Chaturmasya, so they're going to say, these results are imperishable. How can, look, right there from the so-and-so Upanishad says imperishable. No, and then somebody else will say, well, no, imperishable means you'll go to what is apparent from the material viewpoint an imperishable atmosphere of the heavenly planets. But Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, from the highest planet to the lowest planet, all, all of them, they come to an end. And all the activities, they're all places of misery compared to my planet, my atmosphere, to Vaikuntha, which is what is being spoken here in this Anucheta by Jiva. The intent of the statement, and this is where we ended last time, is to basically encourage people to do Chaturmasya. It's like go to church every Sunday, you know. It's a good thing. It's piety. But if one is further along in spiritual development, it'd be much better to go and hear a sadhu speak than to simply go to a church and, and perform the rituals of praying to God and, and hearing a, a culturally oriented presentation of do good and don't do bad in the world and uh, and put your money in the, in the thing. <laughs> it's good for you. And it is good for you. There's no question about it. And we ended up with a couple quotes from Krishna from Bhagavad Gita that better than anything, the most important thing we can do is acquire a good grounding in knowledge. All of these activities should end in knowledge. So the example was given, you could perform Chaturmasya and get all those good results and maybe during the performance you would go to a place of pilgrimage and you would hear a sadhu and the sadhu would introduce you to transcendent knowledge above the modes of material nature. Knowledge about the Supreme Lord and his abode. So, teaching is an art. An expert teacher is one who educates in such a way that the students embrace the teaching as their own, without confusion or degradation. Hence, it is not always easy to under the, understand the intent of scriptures. This is confirmed in the Bhagavatam. Avirhotra. Prescriptions, prohibitions, and transgressions of prescribed duty are to be known from the Veda, and not just through hearsay, since the Veda is the direct revelation of God. Even the Devas are confused about these three types of actions, prescriptions, prohibitions, and transgressions. The Vedas speak indirectly. It is, it, its real import is to impel one to transcend karma and its fruits. 
but it prescribes karma for the ignorant. So it can be confusing. While it's really condemning any kind of activity that keeps you in the cycle of samsara, still the majority of people, they are engaged fully in samsara, so the scripture has to say, you act like this for your betterment. It has to prescribe what's good for them at their time, at their, in their environment, where, where, they're, where they're situated in material existence. Just as a child is tempted with sweets in order to make him take a bitter medicine. So the scriptures like that. So merely citing a reference from the scripture does not establish a truth conclusively. This is an important point. Just because I can quote a verse to support something, it does not mean that, that I'm right. Just because I can quote a sadhu, and I, my spiritual master, he's quoted much. And he's certainly... A great sadhu, but people have arguments regarding one or the other side of a particular item, and they use the quotes of the sadhu and not keep it in perspective, not keep it in the in the in a in a not look at it in a well-rounded way. Um, so, another example is given. Let's take a statement from the Bhagavatam, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. What kind of statement is that? That's called a Mahavakya. Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. It supersedes all other statements regarding various incarnations of the Supreme Lord and various materially powerful personalities within the material creation who themselves are often referred to as the Supreme, like a Lord Shiva, like Lord Brahma. Well, they do, the, they do supreme things in material existence. So sometimes people call them the Supreme. But, this statement carries more evidentiary weight, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, that Krishna is the source of all other manifestations. All, all the personalities of Godhead that we may hear about are coming originally from Krishna. All these incarnations. So when we hear in the scripture that all the incarnations that manifest in the material world are coming for, through Lord Vishnu or coming from Narayan and then we hear Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam we need to know which statement carries more evidentiary weight. That requires using some 
spiritual discrimination. And where do we develop spiritual discrimination? In good association. And we can we can learn how to how to enter into the mysteries of the Bhagavatam and come out on the other end with the proper spiritual conclusions, truths, tattva, which end in a siddhanta, an overall understanding as presented by a particular sampradaya. All Gaudiya sampradayas, all sampradayas, Vaishnav sampradayas, come to the you know a conclusion regarding worship of Vishnu, but some have different conclusions as to which which form of the Lord is the ideal destination. Well, they're all coming to God, so that's good. We have our own conclusions. We'll stick with those. We think we could we think we have preceptors in our line who have <clears throat> who are presenting a manifestation of the Lord as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and have arrived at the the topmost conclusions regarding the nature of the Supreme. And we that's why when we have somebody like Jiva Goswami, one of the six Goswami followers of Sri Chaitanya, showing us the proper way to understand and enter into the mysteries of the Bhagavatam, that's extremely beneficial to us. There's a nice statement in here in the commentary I thought I'd share with you. Um, the degree of completion and truth resonance, resonance or the falsity of any teaching, even those of various avatars, the degree of completion and truth resonance, ringing with the truth, or it's not, or it could be false, of any teaching, even those of the avatars that are presented in Scripture, can be accessed based on a thorough and cross-contextual visioning of all scriptures. Nanasastra. The Goswamis, they knew all the scriptures and they came to this kind of reasoning. Another example. Let's take, for example, Lord Buddha. Now, what do we have here? We have an avatar of the Supreme Lord, basically God himself, coming to the material world and saying, there is no God. So, that could be confusing. <laughs> you know, there is no God. Don't follow... You know, don't follow the Vedas. It's of no value to your to your life. But be peaceful and nonviolent, and 
And you can worship me if you want. <laughs> so, we understand Scripture through through the kindness of a guru and the sadhus. Um, and that also can add some complexity to the situation because not all gurus are in agreement. Um, then uh, the commentator here, he gets into the basic Vedic methodology uh, that comprises what we understand as a sampradaya or a school of thought regarding transcendental knowledge. That these schools uh, are based on the conclusions of the uh, Prastana Trai, which is the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Vedanta Sutra. And based on their, based on the saints in that school's understanding of these, and specifically a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, um, you have a school of thought. So we're in a sampradaya. Our sampradaya is the Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya sampradaya, coming from Lord Brahma down. Madhvacharya, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, so basically, any, every Sampradaya presents a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra to establish their understanding and to understand and to establish their conclusions regarding the prayojan, the ultimate objective of spiritual practice or one's um, attainment. What what should be our intent and what should we want to attain out of our spiritual practice? It's interesting to note that in every Sampradaya there's a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra and the first chapter of the Vedanta Sutra is called Saman Vyavyadya Vayajaya Saman a chapter on reconciliation. So the first thing the Vedanta Sutra does is, the first chapter is, it reconciles all the contradictions that come up in the Upanishads. So the, that gives you some indication of how that Sampradaya is, is built. It is, you know, how, how are these contradictions reconciled? Uh, by the deep thinkers and the sadhus of a particular lineage. 
So that enter, that will end our discussion of the 63rd Anucheta after four, five classes on it. We began this before Guru Maharaj came, so uh, I'm sorry it's taken a while. Uh, we're going to go quickly uh, through some subsequent Anuchetas. Uh Jiva Goswami touches on some more points. All these points are again giving us a, a confirmation of what most of us already understand regarding the Lord's transcendental abode, the nature of Vaikuntha, the nature of that atmosphere. Um, so the 64th Anucheta, um, Vaikuntha is both beyond matter and a place of no fall down. <laughs> So this is what Jiva Goswami says here in the 64th Anucheta. In the following verse, Sri Sutta Goswami simultaneously describes both qualities of Vaikuntha discussed in the two previous sections. Okay, those qualities of being, it's, it's, it's full of all, everything, has all opulences, and it has all love. <laughs> it has all all manner of of relationships with the Lord, whether they be servitude or simply uh, adoration of the Lord or servitude, friendship, parental affection, loving affection as, as husband or wife or even just lovers, conjugal affection, Madhurya Ras. So Vaikuntha has all that. It is beyond the visible or manifest world and is a place from which no one falls. This is a quote from the twelfth canto of the Bhagavatam as an evidence, so twice born. The Lord's umbrella is his spiritual abode, Vaikuntha, where there is no fear. From the context in which this verse is found, i.e., within a description of the Lord's form within the cosmos, it is understood that the umbrella referred to in the verse belongs to his form as seen in the material world. So we're talking about a section in the Srimad Bhagavatam where a manifestation of the Lord is, is, is provided, a description of that manifestation. Though appearing in the material world, even that umbrella is Vaikuntha, which to which is to say it is beyond matter. Basically saying everything associated with the Lord, wherever he may be, is Vaikuntha, even his paraphernalia. So this umbrella is is Vaikuntha. Srila Vishwanath Charkavarti Thakur speaks, when one experiences fearlessness in the material world, free of fear, it is an effect of this umbrella of the Lord. So when the, when the devotee experiences no more fear for material existence, it's to be understood that 
I mean, generally, you could say it's an effect of the umbrella of the Lord. It's an effect of the Vaikuntha atmosphere of devotional service. The fact that it pulls one into Vaikuntha atmosphere. There's no fear of material fall down. There's no fear of material existence. Matter's done all it can do to me. There may still be some residual karma, but... I know where I'm, I know what my objective is. I want to attain Krishna's service and I don't care how long it takes and or what I'm put through due to my prior material involvements, my prior karma. It, it, it really, I'm not afraid of it. Whatever comes, that's up to Krishna. However, he wants to teach me so that I become his best lover I'm willing to learn whatever lessons he thinks I still need to learn. So bring it on. I'm happy in whatever the whatever the environment is, I will remain peaceful, I will remain happy, and I will remain fixed. So this is this is coming to the devotee even as early as the stage of Nista, of steadiness, when all the the sinful Reactions are falling away naturally by the practice of bhakti. It's not that there's some specific intent of the bhakti, even in the beginning stages of bhajana kriya and anartha nivritti, um, to counteract. Let me let me extract myself from material life through my actions. Those, that kind of consciousness may be there in the very beginning, but we need to come to the, to the stage where, oh my Lord, your holy name alone renders all benediction. What can I do? All I can do is become humble. And now we talk about that verse from the Shikshasika, which we chant before every class. Oh my Lord, your holy! It, it's. I have no desire to accumulate wealth. I, I just want it. I just want. Just want to serve, and there's there's no um, there's no necessity on my part of not taking advantage of the surrendering process in deference to some other process for nullifying material existence. Surrender is all that's required. And surrender involves engagement in pure devotional service. Hearing, chanting, remembering. So I don't have to go out and, and stand in you know in the freezing water and and shake shake all my bad sinful reactions away or stand in the in the, in the burning sun or or put myself you know, purposely put myself in a hellish condition. Let Krishna determine all that. Let Krishna, let us take advantage of surrendering as the, as, as the sadhus have prescribed it. Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smarnam, padasavanam, archanam, vandanam, dasyam. Accepting everything that's favorable. Rejecting everything that's unfavorable. Praying to the Lord. Being humble, 
so the processes of surrender and 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 the processes of the pure devotional service those are what's required nothing outside of the realm of what's being prescribed as pure devotional service is necessary So this Vaikuntha atmosphere naturally comes into the life of the devotee. Um, in his Kramasam Darbha, the, the particular Vaikuntha that's being described here is a manifestation of a, the Lord's planet within him in the material realm. And we can find reference to that Again, in the Bhagavatam, it's a praman. It's an evidence for the fact that the Lord also can manifest His material, His I'm sorry, His transcendental realm within the material within the material world. And this is from the eighth canto. Vaikuntha was the wife of the sage Subra. From their union, the Lord Himself appeared in His own partial self-expansion as Vaikuntha along with the best of the gods, who were also known as Vaikunthas. Being requested by the goddess Ram, Lakshmi, the Lord, desiring to please her, manifested a planet named Vaikuntha, which is revered by all the worlds. One more. Anocheda. Well, one more. We just did an Anocheda and it took us five weeks to do. Anocheda 65. Jiva Goswami continues. Oh, only those from the free from the gunas of nature attain Vaikuntha. Nargunya Prapyatva. <coughs> Vaikuntha is attained by those who are established in freedom from the gunas of material nature. Sri Krishna says, this is in the 11th canto, those who quit the body in Sattvagun attain to the heavenly realms. Those who pass away in Rajagun remain in the world of human beings and those who depart in Tamagun descend to hellish realms. But those who are free from the gunas come to me alone. Here, instead of saying, they attain my world, this is Jiva speaking, which would have been appropriate in this context. The Lord says, they attain me, Mam Eva. He says this considering himself non-different from his abode, which means that to attain his abode is to attain him. Sridhar Swami, in commenting on this verse from the Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami, this famous commentator, so much appreciated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates, that he says that when Krishna is speaking of the gunas here, we should see that, and this is why you like a good commentator on the Bhagavatam, you should see that the gunas that are being spoken of, which are leading to the various their influence is leading to the various material attainments 
be their heavenly existence from Sattvagun, the mode of goodness, or earthly existence from Rajagun, or a hellish existence from Tamagun. Um, what, what's being spoken of here by Krishna is the predominant guna, Sridhar Swami says. Because never, he's, he's basically making the point, never forget there's no pure sattva, no pure rajas, and no pure tamas. There's always an, a mixture of the three. goes on to state, pure devotees are in a state beyond the gunas even while living. And thus they attain the Lord in this very life. It is for this reason that they are deservedly called jivan muktas, the living liberated. What to speak of after death? And again, go back and put it in the context of Madhurya Kadambani and how Vishwanath explains the falling away of Anarthas and Aparads associated with our material existence. How they're eliminated very early in the practice. What is it? Nista? Complete? And uh, Ruchi? I believe it's absolute. So, absolutely eliminated. So early in the practice are those in the influence of the gunas. They they have no they have no they they just if we see in a devotee a sadhu one of our associates some advanced devotee, something that we would think, oh, this is a material reaction. We should be careful to think like that because we should see it more that this is the arrangement of Krishna. Because the devotees, they're karmic, they have no karma very early in their abhideya, very early in their taking to devotional practice. Thank you so much for your association.